I've been waiting to do this episode for a while because the subject of the episode is really interesting and fascinating and emerging as one of the major topics for e-commerce growth. It's all about customer retention. I've discussed with one of the industry leaders in customer experience and retention, Eli Weiss, a VP retention advocacy at Yotpo. Eli is building the future of customer retention at Yotpo, and we've discussed the strategies and the future trend in this field. Eli emphasizes the need for brands to understand the holistic customer journey and utilize data to communicate with customers effectively. Eli shares insight on implementing retention strategies, such as focusing on customer behavior and personalized messaging. He also highlights the role of data analysis and the evolving nature of the retention role in organizations. The conversation explores the evolving approach to customer journey and the increasing importance of retention in business strategies. We've discussed the changing roles and expectations of retention professionals, as well as the convergence of customer experience and retention. The challenges of differentiation and scaling in the current market are discussed, along with the key performance indicators of measuring retention success. The conversation also touches on the similarities between D2C and B2B businesses in terms of customer expectations and the importance of customer success. It is an episode packed with invaluable information about the future of customer experience and retention strategies. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Ecom Pulse, your heartbeat to the world of e-commerce. I'm your host, Eitan Kotter. Join us as we meet with industry leaders, marketing experts, and the innovative minds behind the tech that is shaping the e-commerce future. So plug in, gear up, and get ready for a pulse-pounding journey into the heart of e-commerce. Hey, Eli, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Great, Eli. You've been uh, in, the, in the industry for many years, working with brands, specifically around customer experience, retention, obviously spent time with tech startups in the field as, a, as an investor, as an active participant. We would love to learn more about you. I know you just joined the Yotpo, uh, probably redefining the future of customer retention. So thank you very much for your time. Let us... Uh, know better about you please share your experience and what are you working on these days yeah uh, I started my career about a decade ago um, I grew up in an Orthodox world number two of ten children uh, don't really have like a high school education or college degree um, wow. <laughs> I yeah I moved abroad in 2014 uh, and I uh, I moved to Israel and I started my career by just kind of I should have been in school I was traveling a lot Mm -hmm. um, doing some odd jobs uh, just to pay rent. Uh, at some point in time, I got excited about this idea that I, I felt like I understood customer experience better than most did. I felt like I was mm -hmm. a difficult customer. Uh, and it, it felt like I was almost, <laughs> you know, frustrated that brands didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. Like it, it felt so easy to just empathize and, and, and show that you gave a shit. But instead, it was just like, canned responses over and over and over. We regret X, Y, Z. It sounded like a machine. Mm -hmm. It was interesting to me that Zappos was like, their their whole spiel was great customer experience. Yeah. Um, I started again, like I had no education, uh, no clue what I wanted to do. I applied to a bunch of startups while living in Israel in 2014. Uh, in 2015, I, I applied to Yepo. Um, it was just like, it said like my name and my date of birth, like my CV <laughs> just was non-existent. Uh, 
And I basically told myself that I'd give myself a year to figure out uh, if I can get a job. If I can get a job, if I can break into it, then then I'll kind of skip college. I did mm-hmm. my GED in my early in my early twenties, probably twenty fourteen. I did my GED, uh, which is like the high school diploma equivalent, and I started applying for jobs. I applied for a bunch of startups, and one of them eventually gave me a shot. It was a luggage company based in Airport City. Um, mm-hmm. I jumped in as like number 17 at some point in time that was just me and the CEO, like this company grew and, and, and shrunk and grew and shrunk and they raised a bunch of money. And we had, it was a Kickstarter brand. We had customers in, in 64 countries and, and it was like a, it was an interesting experience. It was like my real life MBA. So I spent almost four years there just kind of building out everything from ops to logistics to the email marketing on MailChimp mm-hmm. back then running the store on, on WooCommerce and WordPress. And it was just kind of the, the early fun days. Um, mm-hmm. It was there for a while, started a startup while I was there uh, on the side that kind of bootstrapped to not a very large size and ended up failing. Um, moved back to the States in 2018. Uh, again, kind of jumped into uh, generalist roles. Turns out nobody wanted to hire a generalist. So I figured I would niche down into customer experience, customer retention. My first role was at a company called Simulate, um, which back then was called Nugs. It was like a vegan chicken startup that raised a lot of money uh, and then um, got pulled into Olipop very early, which ended up being a massive, massive opportunity for me leaving their customer yeah. experience. So that went from mm-hmm. you know a couple of hundred stores when I joined to by the time I left, it was like 15, now probably 25,000 stores and, and a massive e-com operation. We built subscription wow. from zero yeah. to 50% mm-hmm. of the business and it was a, a Total blast! One of the first hires on ecom um, got poached by Jones Road uh, in twenty twenty, beginning of twenty twenty two. Again, kind of saw business go from zero to one hundred million in revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it bootstrapped, so very, very, very different. Uh, had a quarter life crisis and said I wanted to throw everything in the garbage and start uh, with something different, and that's kind of. The, the story of me joining the SaaS, uh, the SaaS side coming from the, the consumer side. Yes, yes. In the last uh, four months, you are with, with Yotpo. That's also a nice story. I mean, what uh, excites you about, about Yotpo? Yeah. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've done quite a few podcasts where people ask me like, what's the, what's the billion dollar idea? Like what's mm-hmm. the, what's the big, big missing piece in retention? And for me, it was always the, the lack of, a true understanding of what a holistic customer journey looks like. Like we, we have so many data points yet we continue to spray and pray and we can talk about this for hours. A lot of it has to do with the fact that retention KPIs and growth KPIs and CX KPIs kind of all don't fully align because there's no Mm -hmm. full, full story across the business. That's a separate conversation. But I think what I've learned is that we have all these data points yet we don't utilize them at all to, to communicate with the customer throughout, throughout their journey. And, and I remember getting asked this question with the billion dollar ideas. And I always said, like, we have all these data points. Can we have them live in one place? So we know exactly the right message with the right offer at the right time to the customer. Um, I, as a customer churned Yutpo twice. Like I, I had my thoughts around Yutpo about the pricing, like all the things that we all understood in, in the, in the ecosystem. Um, and I had a conversation basically realizing I wanted to leave customer experience and retention at, at Jones Road. And I had a conversation with a couple of CEOs that I respect in the space. One of them was Tomer from Yutpo. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I shared my, my vision um, around retention. He said, this is the craziest thing. It's exactly what we're building here. Uh, mm-hmm. I had no intention of joining SaaS. And, and the, the pitch from Tomer was like, you know, we understood that I'm, I'm an entrepreneur without the risk tolerance. This is an opportunity to get a, a great job, but also have the ability to build this future of retention. And he said, 
so, you know, I signed a contract without any clear roles and responsibilities. And he <laughs> said, take the first, take the first six weeks and just sit with every team in the company and, and try to better understand where you can be helpful. And that's kind of the beginning of the end of this. It's been, it's been a couple of months here. Um, <laughs> it's been a blast, like being able to work with the marketing team, with the demand gen team, with the product team, with the product marketing team, um, and kind of work towards this uh, future of retention all while kind of bringing Yapo back to the, to the market, like as, as close as we can to operators like this, <laughs> this is me, like they're pitching to people like me for the last, you know, this is who I've been on the retention side. So yeah. bringing the market super close to Yapo, bringing Yapo super close to the market to build this kind of evolution of retention that you'll see, you know, now it sounds fluffy. You'll see that on the product over the next six to 12 to 18 to 24 months, you'll see kind of the product kind of moving towards this holistic retention platform instead of just a bunch of point solutions. Mm -hmm. um, there are already kind of a bunch of synergetic fun experiences when you have multiple of the tools together, but kind of this, this real platform layer, I think you'll see a lot more in the next, you know, 12 to 18, 24 months. Interesting. So the idea is like building probably like a flywheel or an ecosphere of solutions, right? Uh, product reviews, loyalty, SMS, like a consolidating to some kind of a more of a holistic solution offering. Yeah, I think consolidation is is like a is a buzzy word. I think what a lot of people uh, get excited about is kind of like a, a cheaper price or a better, you know, one login. With this, it's it's more so better understanding. Like when you have every communication of the customer journey, what 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 can you learn? A on the learning mm -hmm. side, like what can you learn super quickly of like what works, what doesn't work. B, how can you kind of leverage this full flyway, like you said, to to build a retention plan that hits the customer with the right message at the right time. What it might look like is, you know, subscriptions today are, you know, either brands sling a subscription to everyone on order number one, you default to subscription, yeah. or you kind of make it super, super difficult to leave subscriptions, which is something you see over and over and over of like, maybe I should not let people cancel or like New York Times, like maybe they should mm -hmm. have to call in to cancel. The future is making sure you're pitching the subscription to the right customer, meaning not ever, some people are not subscribers. They jump in for the discount. It's fun. We should stop pitching it to them. So mm -hmm. the future is understanding what the right offer for the right customer is and then what the right way to get to them is. Is it SMS? Like, are we just sending, and that's the campaign we just launched on the Frown campaign was, was this idea of like, you're probably just, at some point you're hitting the right message to the right customer, but you've probably sent mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of messages to get there versus what if we told you based on what we've seen in the past, like behavior-wise, based on what they've purchased in the past, based on their browsing, whatever, like all the information we have on the CDP, like what can uh -huh. we tell you about? We know what offer this will, you know, this customer will be excited about. For example, if they've only ever purchased with discount codes, you, you might have to look at that customer differently than you look at the customer that's just paying full price every six weeks. So yeah. timing between orders, the offer you're giving them, the way you communicate with them. I mean, every single piece reviews is, is fun because it's pre-purchase, right? You're, you're, you're impacting conversion. And then kind of as you go from reviews to loyalty, to email, to SMS, to subscription, you're kind of, you're kind of building that entire customer journey and let's yeah. use those data points. So if somebody gave you a five-star review and they've purchased twice in the last 30 days, it's probably a perfect customer for subscription mm -hmm. with a bunch of point solutions. You're probably not getting there with the right message. Yeah. In, in the right time. So probably like working on increasing the granularity of segmentation and obviously personalization, like zooming in more and more and more to all these different, you know, use cases that can be probably unlimited in number. If, right? And if you ask any marketer, like if, if you ask a marketer, if you had the opportunity to reach out to the right customer with the right message at the right time, everyone would say like, duh, like obviously that's, that's <laughs> the, the holy grail, yeah. but technology hasn't, it hasn't quite gotten, gotten there. So if you have an opportunity to choose like, 
a best in class solution versus a solution mm-hmm. that is 90% there, but gives you the opportunity to send the right message to get the right customer. A, you're probably saving a lot of headache for your customers. B, you talk to people that have like the best, 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 best solution. They're not using 90% of the bells and whistles. So mm-hmm. I think the, 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 you know, like, will, will we ever be better than X and Y? Maybe, but I don't, I don't know that you have to, I think you have to have like a really, really, really good solution with all the data layers um, to your point, yes, segmentation, but also I think for me, from the customer experience world, it's so important that, you know, that th- that was the essence of this uh, campaign around the, fr- the frown campaign was this idea that y- you're never, you're almost never kind of segmenting well enough. And the reason is because mm-hmm. when you segment too much, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. But what yeah. if you, you know, like if you have the data to segment just enough, I think that's the fun, the fun place that I'm excited about yes. both, you know, and exactly. that kind of. CX and retention, like those are my two worlds, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. it's been complex to find those, uh, to find the convergence. Other than two fun jobs at a company, for me, this was the convergence. Is like building a retention platform that has customer experience in mind when you do it to get the right message to the right customers. Mm-hmm. Kind of feels like on the outside, he's like Eli went to Yepo. Is he crazy? On, on <laughs> the inside, in, in my heart, it kind of all makes sense because it's a circular yes. journey. It's just a continuous fight, uh, you know, f- try to find this sweet spot, right? Between, you know, too much segmentation and, you know, leaving money on the table and obviously, you know, putting the right uh, messaging campaign for a certain audience that, that makes sense. Correct. But let's do a short pause and probably back, let's go back to the basic because, we, you know, you mentioned customer experience. You mentioned, you know, obviously retention. L- let's try to define these things. What's, what's retention for you, you know, in 2024 looking forward? Yeah. I mean, at, at a very high level, retention is uh, keeping more revenue uh, from your existing customers. So you don't have to acquire mm-hmm. new customers every single time. So increasing the, the lifetime value of your customers. So getting a customer from spending $10 with you one time to spending $100 over six orders. So mm-hmm. that's at a very high level what retention is. I think if you if you think one more step around retention, retention for me is making sure every part of the customer journey was what we promised. I think something that I speak about a lot is that there's so much focus on surprise and delight and going over above and beyond, but most brands don't have to do that. Just look at what you're promising and try to get there as a, as a sure. phase one. So what that might look like is you're promising faster delivery than you can handle. You're promising that your problem, that your product solves every problem that ever existed when in reality, it's just a better toothbrush, right? This isn't solving any, mm-hmm. this, this is just a better shoe polish, right? So I think it's like retention, what it looks like practically is, good product, meeting expectations across the board. That's kind of the practical side yeah. of, of the high-level retention. Interesting. So it's not just uh, financially, right? I mean, trying to you know, upsell or like lend and expand as much as you can from existing customers. We know, I think I saw the latest data that it, it, it's like 12 times more expensive to get a new client than to bring another dollar from your existing customers, right? So definitely there's a lot of attention that needs to be done on with existing customers. But there's also some also valuable, let's say, objective targets like customer loyalty, right? Word of mouth, uh, you know, brand equity. What, what are your thoughts on all this, you know, I would say agile or less, you know, uh, quantitative aspects of the, of the equation? Yeah, I think, I think the kind of X factor here is that when you build a, an experience that resonates with people, the, the untrackable, right? The word of mouth is <laughs> like you can have a loyalty program and you can set up a referral program. People that don't play with those games, won't play mm-hmm. with those games. Like if somebody has a very high net worth or is super busy, they're not going to refer their friends to save $10. They might not even join loyalty because they don't have any interest. 
Okay. Um, and, and the untrackable kind of like, that's always been complex for retention marketers that live in spreadsheets, right? There's mm-hmm. the, the live in spreadsheets. Then there's the kind of too fluffy. I've spent a big part of my career way too far to the too fluffy. And I've kind of, I'm a recovering f- fluffy, right? Like <laughs> recovery I've had to, phase. <laughs> yeah. I had to get, I had to get more, more integrated yeah. with data, but I think realistically, yes. Uh, aside from the, the, the value in kind of landing and expanding there, there's a lot of value in creating brand advocacy, uh, you know, sure. brand advocates, um, which I think sometimes is trackable by NPS. Sometimes it's trackable by CSAT. There are kind of proxy scores, but I think in general, Yes, the, you know, the, the additional context is this all really relies on the fact that you need to be acquiring the right customer. Meaning if I sold a customer this idea that this toothbrush will save your life, uh, it's going to be very complex to land and expand from, you know, expand on the retention side. Growth will have an easy time landing by overpromising. Mm-hmm. Retention mm-hmm. will have an impossible time upselling impossible. and cross-selling when this person shouldn't have shouldn't have ever purchase this. So I think that's a complex kind of relationship between the KPIs and the growth side, which is land a customer at the best marketing efficiency ratio, right? Like bring down okay. the CAC, increase, increase X, Y, and Z, like all those data points don't really lend help to the retention team who just all their ammo is discounts, emails, SMS, sometimes yes. excluding the discount. It's impossible to bring back customers that should have never been here. So I think that's the, yes. the, Interesting piece. Interesting. And, w- and what I'm hearing also is that once you have a, like a solid retention strategy, it also has an influence on the landing efforts, right? Bringing in new customers, like the right customers, that they can then be also effective on the retention uh, phase. Yeah. And that, that's sometimes harder harder to track. But I think it's, yeah. it's something that most of us, it, it's kind of a weird cognitive dissonance that as, as customers, we think very differently than than we do as merchants, right? As customers, mm-hmm. we know that we have a great experience. We're more likely to repurchase again. Yep. As merchants, we're just trying to hack away the next kind of the next retention technique. So, for example, if if you purchased a product on a subscription, they made mm-hmm. it impossible for you to leave. Chances are, they increased LTV by ten dollars by making you stay for another order. A, you're probably going to cancel as soon as you can. B, anyone you meet, you'll say this was miserable. So, I think it's like yeah. a it, it, as marketers, we, we tend to jump out of the box that we should be living in and sure. think as like, you know, assassins and sleuths and, and detectives. But as customers, I find this across every part of, of marketing, right? Like as customers, <laughs> we say we hate getting a million emails. As customers, we say we hate when it's impossible to cancel. Like you find the same people who say, let me make it harder to cancel. Those are the same people that are tweeting at whoever, whichever yeah. brand saying like, this is scum, yeah. it's awful, blah, 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 blah. But as marketers, we do the same thing. Yeah. It's a weird cognitive dissonance. I see across everything. And then they're like, well, it's just because you're a marketer. That's why you get it. And it's like, no, yeah. my mother is not a marketer. And she hates when she gets a million emails from, I don't know, Kohl's, right? Like, yeah. this isn't, this is just a cognitive dissonance. <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting. So, I mean, obviously, you're working on the tech side, trying to implement, implement you know, I guess the main issue is how to use the data that you have, which is probably huge enough to uh, to get some insights and processes in place. Uh, so you work on technology, data implementation or an- analysis, and obviously about strategies to help you know improve you know brand retention. Share with us, I mean, what are you working on and what's the plan? So on the Yapo side, uh, it's been it's been interesting for me to learn how product is made. I've never mm-hmm. been. I've never been on the tech side. I'm. I'm on the customer side, just seeing what the what the 
you know, what the beta product is, what the GA product is now seeing kind of how it starts from an idea to, you know, to the PMs, to the, to the engineers and the devs. Uh, yeah. it's, it's been really, 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 really interesting. Mm-hmm. I've had like a challenge throughout my career that I get bored really yeah. quickly when I just do the same thing over and over and over. So this is a mm-hmm. whole new universe for me, uh, which has been fun. I think it's, it's important for me to realize what my strong suits are and what I'm probably less great at. Mm-hmm. Um, data has never been like, I, I can't live in a spreadsheet. It's just something that I, I, I suck at. Uh, and it's not something that I, you know, I intend on getting maybe a little bit better, not marginally better. It's just not my sweet (laughs) spot. So I think a lot of it for me has been kind of bringing the things I've seen on the brand side. So aside from the couple of brands I've worked at that, that were incredible, I've, I've consulted over, I've consulted with over a hundred brands in the last three years on retention and customer experience. So I have a lot of data points, both qualitatively and quantitatively, what great retention is, what people struggle with, what people don't struggle with how people like mm-hmm. to solve problems. So I try to bring mm-hmm. a lot of that to the product team. Um, and I'm currently living in, in the kind of PMM product marketing sphere. So I sit very closely between product and, and customer. And I try to kind of pull my learnings from my side of the world and pass it along so we can integrate within products. So there's yeah. certain things that I'll see that are being developed. And I'll say this, this to me, does nothing like this means nothing to me. This isn't helpful for me as a retention marketer. Obviously, understanding yeah. that I'm not the only retention marketer in the world, but I have a an okay data set as to like what people in my universe are curious and excited about. Um, and then I spend a lot of time, you know, kind of across the org, both on marketing and on sales and on customer customer success to kind of bring all the things I hated and loved uh, from the brand side. Like, hey, when you do this in the sales cycle, this isn't fun. People don't enjoy it. Right. So I think it's, yeah. it's like a trying to bring whatever I can. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's been, it's been high level. So it's on the product side, it's been, you know, more overall strategy than nitty gritty kind of. Yes. Yes. Here's how to code X, Y, and Z. And from the brand perspective, I mean, if you put the head now of the brand side, I mean, what do you see working in terms of retention and what should companies pay attention to? And probably you can differentiate between, you know, small companies, small brands to big brands. I guess it's probably there is nuances there as well. Yeah, I think something I've seen work in general is thinking more strategically around what your customer should purchase next. So I think most uh-huh. brands just say like, I just need to get another purchase mm-hmm. versus better understanding like what that second purchase might be. So I- I've learned that it's really, really hard to change customer behavior versus accelerating existing behavior. So something I've seen a lot of brands do is like, I know that when customers buy this second product, their LTV dramatically increases versus trying to just look at what they would have purchased without you driving them crazy and try to accelerate that by a couple of days or or maybe adding something to the basket size. Yeah. So I think that mm-hmm. that's been across brands of every size. Like mm-hmm. your basic data analytics platform can tell you like shopping bag analysis, LTV analysis of like what customers that buy this product, what is their second most you know, like w- what is the product that they're probably going to buy second mm-hmm. and try to push towards that? I think that's one trend that I've seen work really well. Um, the other trend I've seen, you know, specifically with brands that have multiple categories is understanding like what tr- transition from category to category means for your LTV. So generally we've okay. seen, we've seen it, uh, I've seen it some brands where customers that buy in multiple categories kind of get a better holistic understanding of w- what the brand offers very early on. Mm-hmm. And they end up becoming much stronger customers. So obviously, some of that might have to do with the amount of money they have in their wallet. Some have some has to do with the, the behavior as a shopper. But in general, brands with a wide catalog 
uh, creating bundles that kind of give customers the ability to discover early on. Mm-hmm. Because if even if you don't like one product or one category, there's a chance you like something else. So that's number two. Number three, I think, is is across all brands. I've seen like understanding your customer behavior and then figuring out the right messaging at the right time, which obviously has to do with why I joined here. But even outside of uh-huh. Yepco, I think like I've, I found a lot of value in understanding when email and SMS is no longer going to work. So if somebody hasn't opened a single email, doesn't yeah. touch your SMS, it's been 55 days and you know that people generally, if they don't repurchase by 59 days, they're out. Mm-hmm. Leveraging tools like Postpilot, Direct Mail has been like super interesting for us. And for a lot of the okay. brands I've consulted with is like getting a direct mailer to them, knowing that your incrementality is going to be much higher because these people are, they're out. Like email yeah. didn't work, SMS didn't work. This is your final shot at it. Mm-hmm that's been mega, mega, mega successful for some brands that I've, I've worked with. Um, nice. And then I'd say across smaller brands, you know, these are all like mid middle, middle kind of middle to enterprise across smaller brands. I've seen kind of being really, really thoughtful around messaging is something that people say a lot, but actually Matt from Huron, uh, they sell like men's skincare, et cetera. And I think that's a great example of like, he will take time, on a weekend, jumping into emails of first-time customers and sending them an email that's personalized mm-hmm. and the value that he sees between the way they repurchase, the things they repurchase. like cre- Creating one-off relationships is so hard to scale, but I think the value for a small brand is is, yeah. is so, so monstrous, but also it's a building block. Like You're not only getting this next purchase, you're also creating like super, super high uh excitement for these people that they might go share with others and these you're creating like yes. word of mouth word of mouth yeah in 10 Advocates. minutes on a friday amazing but it's not easy to know how do you know which order they're going to place on the second purchase right i mean how do you get that information is it like through surveys through you know, interacting with your customers what's the best practices here are you saying in terms of understanding what they might purchase in the second time yeah yeah so i th- i think that Something that I've seen is a lot of basic analytics tools like Triple Whale or Peel will give you that data. Okay. They'll, they'll show okay. you a customer journey of like 90% of customers that purchase your hero skew and your first product uh-huh. purchase the same exact product in the second and maybe 10% buy the next product. So mm-hmm. if you want to go the easiest route, just send them to repurchase the hero product when the time is right versus, and maybe you add like a rebuy like you use like a in-card upsell to try to get the second the 10 percent buy so right so you're you're basically following existing behavior so i think there's there's quite a few tools that kind of give you out of the box yes. uh, solutions to better understand that yes and obviously better you know customer engagement right being being where the customer are like not only on a website but on social media you know again you mentioned you know, how they're interacting with your email marketing as well and so i guess it's very very important to understand and once you have that retention strategy in place, it obviously involves a lot of other departments in the company, right? I mean, your advertising, your paid media, right? You know, different the way you define or describe products and services, right? So it's in, it requires kind of a company-wide you know, acceptance of, the, of that plan. I think most people right? are shocked as to how little brands know about their customers overall. <laughs> okay. Like I think most people are shocked uh, when they hear that brands have no idea like who their customers are, what they like, what they don't like. All you see is like you send the email, they buy. You have no idea like what in the email is driving the, them to purchase. What's exciting yeah. here? Like yeah. people don't talk to their customers, have no idea what's going on, yet <laughs> they continue kind of it's one way. It's just, it's just 
spray and pray, right? It's just send, 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 and there's yes. no there's no communication. Like I, I've learned a lot in the last few years by having these like one off Zoom calls with customers and just trying to better understand like what's what's exciting to them about this brand versus the other brand. Because as as founders, uh, you know, I think founders tell themselves my product is the best in the world, but customers that's probably not why they're purchasing. Like product is important, but it's for everyone. It's something else. Like we, we saw, you know, even at Jones road, like we saw, you know, we, you know, for us, it's like, this is Bobby Brown. This is incredible, blah, blah, blah. But you talk mm-hmm. to customers and some of them are just, some of them were excited that it's clean. Some of them were excited that it's easy. Some, some of them were just like new moms and wanted something that wouldn't, you know, mess with their, with their, with their skin. I mean, like everyone had different motivations and understanding top 10 or top 15 mm-hmm. uh, helped us a lot in terms of better understanding, like who the, who the customer avatar is, even for growth side, even for marketing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds to me that the, you, I think you probably talk about like going back to the basics, make the strong stronger and try to let put less effort as a marketeer to change things you can't control. Right. Or you don't have clear data or understanding like downsizing and prioritizing, like going back to those, you know, better marketing channels or, you know, skews that are making sense, right? That's yes, uh, and, probably. And I think it's been interesting to see that this, this kind of back to basics works just as well with a $200,000 a year company as it does with 150 million. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. this, this is the one constant in my career that I've seen that going, going, listening to customers, which sounds like the biggest no brainer, but getting closer to the market helps just as much across every, it's, it's the only yeah. constant. It's the only thing that works with every single size business. And I've seen it, it goes both ways. Like you'll see hundred million dollar companies that are closer to the customers than you, you dream of. And then you see mm-hmm. like $200,000 a year customers that are, businesses that are super close as well it has it has nothing to do this is like size agnostic it's just the personalities you bring on your team right like the are the retention marketers or the executives excited about the actual business or do they yeah. just love just looking at numbers and i think that massively impacts you know like numbers tell a story right like but but numbers don't give you the qualitative yeah. so numbers work until numbers don't work Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then you kind of switch the numbers and you switch the, the sales track and you switch the mm-hmm. everything I've seen this across every business I've looked at is like, you can build an incredible business looking at numbers alone, but at some point in time, it's like, if you don't get back to the, back to the basics, I mean, like yeah. you, you see, we can all think of a million examples of brands that have built, like built, built a numbers business. Um, and some of them have just been like shit out of luck, right? Like Peloton is a great is a great example of like yeah. built an incredible business, COVID headwinds, et cetera, et cetera. But like theoretically, you should have believed that if it's a great product and a great machine, like I know plenty of people that still don't go outside much with COVID out of the way. And Peloton's <laughs> yeah. still struggling as a business. So I think sure. it's like that's one example, but I think it's it's interesting to see that spreadsheet businesses work. Um they can they can get to 50 million, they can get to 300 million at some point in time. Uh, at least I'm bullish on the idea at some point in time, getting close to your customers is inevitable because that's, yeah. that's how you evolve as a business. Sure, sure. And look, I mean, the, all the the way you work with data, I mean, if the data support your thesis, right? And we, we are all human and we have instincts, right? So if the data supports, you know, whatever we thought and invested in, then it's all great. But when the data shows you something else, you know, I see a lot of example, like, 
trying to probably, I will not say ignore the data, but having a lot of difficulties, you know, accept that and definitely implemented the right, you know, change, which is like or, or across all the organization to make sure that, you know, you adapt the new data. And it's usually been implemented very, very slow. And, you know, you realize too late that uh, it's already done. And that's uh, one of the challenges with data is trying to uh, move fast and be agile in terms of, in terms of processes and mentality uh, to, to accept that. So, I mean, retention is, uh, I guess, for, for brands or retailers hear us and think about retention, how do you see this role evolve throughout the years? I mean, and how, how do you see the staffing around that? What brands and retailers should be aware of or, you know, think hear us now and thinking, hey, this is a topic I need to to start probably put more attention to. What some of the you know tips and you know t- tactics you can suggest that can be implemented here? That's a good question. So, a uh, high level, I think what I've seen is uh, retention is probably the only role in a business that takes creative side as much as it does numbers data side, which yeah. I think is complex. So I, it's mm-hmm. it's very rare to see somebody excel at both. I know my skills tap out when it comes to like super heavy analysis and spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think understanding that I have to find the right people to support that. Um, So that's number one is like retention is complex because it touches both sides of the brain. Yeah. Overall, I think what we've seen over the last kind of decade, especially on e-com, like retention was always a thing, but it was, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands, it was like a life cycle marketer, or, you know, email marketer, you know, since email mm-hmm. evolved on the business side, it's always been like somebody yeah. that sat in the corner, sent a lot of emails. I think as you know, email, email marketing, et cetera, turned into, you know, like CRM life cycle, which is more kind of holistic, right? It was okay. As SMS became a thing, you know, you started thinking this is, this is your, you're managing this, you know, your CRM manager, you're managing the, our quote unquote book of business for customers. And your goal is you need to understand their customer journey and, and understand how to get them back. I think in general, until probably 2010s, mid late 2010s, we've seen life cycle live very, very, very far from anything else. It was just like a job that was hired to send emails mm-hmm. to get those people back that created the the chaotic email marketing of like Wayfair, JCPenney, et cetera, that send three, four emails a day, right? Because yeah. if your KPIs are just get those customers back by any means necessary. You're just going to continue leveraging whatever tools you have, pull those levers to get them back. So Exactly, the push, push strategy, yeah. Yeah, and at some point you hope they either come back or they unsubscribe. And mm-hmm. you tell yourself they don't unsubscribe, they obviously like it, which yeah. <laughs> or they're obviously okay with it, which sounds insane. Again, as a, as a marketer, we tell ourselves this, but it sounds insane. Insane, um, yeah. I think we've seen, you know, at least at least in my corner, I've seen 2020 was kind of the rise of retention, like as a, as a title, like director of retention, senior director of retention, retention marketing manager, which... Again, you're seeing some brands, it's just email and SMS. Other brands, it's much more holistic. I think we'll continue to see more holistic kind of like high-level director or senior director of retention that lives across the entire customer journey and isn't Mm -hmm. just, you know, they might have an email and SMS retention manager under them. But I think you're starting to see these high-level, like they own retention across everything. So they're looking at unboxing. They're looking at customer experience. They're mm-hmm. looking at like they're looking at every single part of the customer journey and email and SMS are levers that are that sit under them that can be pulled, but they're also thinking push if they have an app strategy. They're also thinking 
direct mail. They're also thinking surveying. They're thinking customer conversations. They're mm-hmm. thinking much, much, much more holistically. And I think you're seeing a lot of that, obviously, with the, with the headwinds of iOS and the headwinds of marketing, you know, CAC going up, you know, all that, all that yeah. stuff that you'll hear a thousand times you don't need to hear from me. I think you're seeing retention become much more of an important role. But again, still a challenging one because it's very, very hard. In my career, I've seen a very small handful of people that can mess around in a spreadsheet and also deeply understand the the creative side of, of what retention strategy could look mm-hmm. like. Because those are really two sides of the brain. Yes. Interesting. So so what do you see like in the industries from the brand side? Do you see some you know more clarity on it, more... Uh... You know, putting going towards this this role, or probably try to spread this into different departments. You know, creativity, or uh, um, you know, email email as, as you said, or consolidating the task, or just spread it across various departments. Well, I t- I say I see a couple of things. Number one, retention people are getting paid more. <laughs> okay, um, it's it's become like a it's become like an important role. I think in the U.S. specifically, uh, early twenty twenties retention, director of retention, et cetera, in the, in the universe I was living in. Again, this is me talking from my personal experience. You were seeing retention roles for $75,000, $80,000, right. $90,000. Now you're seeing the same role, director or senior director of retention, go for like one fifty, one sixty, one eighty, right? Yeah. At least double. So yeah. you're seeing there's, there's a lot of that, which tells you two things. It doesn't tell you that, you know, it doesn't tell you you're just getting paid more. It says there's there's a high expectation of, of, of senior director, director level, really high quality people that are going to transform the business. Once you get close to $200,000 in salary, you're expected to bring something meaningful to the table. Mm-hmm. So I think you're seeing that. Um, and again, you're seeing these people at some brands get a seat at the table, which is like a meaningful transition of what it used to be, which is somebody in the corner sending a lot yeah, of emails. Yeah, like a C-suite position or something. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You're seeing, you know, you're seeing chief customer officer, which, which again spreads both customer experience and retention. Yes. I, I mean, my personal, uh, selfishly, or if you look at my career, you see my belief in, in the fact that these two converge. Like I think customer experience retention converge because a great experience, if you look holistically drives retention, mm-hmm. obviously retention is understanding the messaging that gets them back or understanding how do we get them back, understanding journey. But I think you're seeing, you're seeing a seat at the table, you're seeing them get paid more, you're seeing thinking strategically across channels and not just like a single channel of marketing. You're mm-hmm. seeing brands think about retention pre-acquisition, the way we acquire customers, taking feedback in a full in a full 360, this virtuous yeah. cycle of mm-hmm. understanding what brings people in, looking at net promoter scores, understanding what they love, what they don't like, using that back to bring new customers in. So you're, I think you're seeing a very, very meaningful shift in the way retention is viewed in the, in the business overall. Yes. I mean, there are so many things that are happening in the market, like cookie-less world, getting more difficult to get to, to get, you know, acquisition, uh, yep. success. Supply chains are becoming more exp- complex and expensive, manufacturing costs, shipping costs. It's not easy. I guess it's getting more and more complicated to, to differentiate and to scale. And obviously working with your existing customers in, in a very honest way, right? I mean, trying to deliver the right value and the right product. Uh, as we said, it's not just, uh, okay, let's uh, try to upsell and land and expand and get more dollars, but think about brand loyalty, uh, word of mouth, and some other, um, you know, those invaluable objective targets that are super, super important. So I guess it, it is becoming a very, very critical part of any any brand strategy and definitely should be something that... Uh, 
needs to be positioned in you know in the forefront of of, of any of anyone in for 2024 and, and thereafter so for sure for sure um one thing i wanted to ask you about some of the kpis you know how do you measure so assuming a brand wants to implement a, a retention process and you know, obviously uh, having the right plan in place creatives you know marketing messages and everything that evolves around that what will be an ideal you know success plan or like a kpis that are you know anyone like a ceo or an owner can can measure success of a retention plan i mean at a very i'll give you a very high level um very high level i mean you, you want to understand that the the acquisition, the, the CAC that you're spending is bringing a meaningful LTV mm-hmm. based on where your business is and, and sure. what your profitability needs to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so LTV is, is, a, is obviously super important. The, the, uh, you know, the, the time between orders is meaningful. Like your CAC payback period is important. Um, and then I think everything else kind of lives in that universe, right? Like increasing yeah. AOV to increase, mm-hmm. you know, to get your margins better. Like obviously contribution yeah. margin is the important thing. Like if I'm spending X dollars, how many dollars am I getting back? And what, what does my profitability look like? I think obviously in SaaS, it's, it's NRR. It's not just right. It's like the, because it's, it's net recurring revenue, not just mm-hmm. your kind of basic LTV. Sure. But I think, it, I think at, at a very high level, it's that, but almost every business has to think of this differently. Meaning like, I think a lot of businesses look for a percentage of revenue from, from existing customers, but that really depends on like how, how aggressive your, 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 your acquisition side of the business is, right? Cause if you're spending a crazy amount of money on acquisition, you don't want, it's not great to have 80% of your revenue coming from existing customers. That, that means sure. that your acquisition isn't working. So I think yeah. that's like a, a bit of a fuzzy metric, but I think yeah. overall it's like, increasing LTV, like increasing revenue from existing customers, probably a little bit of a difference in, in between businesses, depending on where they are, right? Like a mattress yes. company is, is going to look different than a, than a toothpaste company. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, depends on, on consumption, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously we live in a world not with where like sustainable growth is not enough. We're, we're looking for profitable growth, right? And a lot has changed. A lot has changed, right? So yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's something that needs to be taken into consideration. Great, I mean, Eli, yeah. I so, will say if you if you yeah. know I, the last thing I'll say is if you look at what success looked like five, six, seven, eight years ago, you look at like mm-hmm. the D to C one darlings, like the the Warby Parkers yeah. of the world, the the uh-huh. Allbirds, the the Caspers, like these were the monster one D to C brands, and none of those are are faring well today in, in the public market or the way they they or the yeah. way they IPO, and some of them went back private, some of them are struggling tremendously. So I think you're right. It's not just sustainable, it's profitable growth. But I think we're also learning that not every business needs to be venture backed, right? Like not every business needs to raise a couple hundred million dollars to sell yep. mattresses. So I think a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot has changed. I think some people are sure. asking, why was it ever that way? Um, but I think 2.0, 3.0 is very, very, very different than, you know, I think 2.0 is, is even looking at kind of the, the, the way Nike has evolved to e-com, right? Like Nike, Nike thought about e-commerce differently. They, they thought about omni-channel. They built slowly. They built strategically. Mm-hmm. And I think Figs is a great example of like profitability was always the goal. They became profitable super early on. Yeah. Um, and now they're doing okay in the public market. So I think public market's telling us that uh, the, the, the evolution of, of D2C is going to continue to be interesting. Yes, interesting. And about D two C, any special consideration for B two B company, like any for, I, for, for retention, like D two C versus B two B. 
I think the biggest learning I have is is how similar they are, right? Like uh, uh, customers are customers are customers. They're all yeah. they're all expecting one thing. Like B two B SaaS, I think the biggest the biggest churn risk is somebody getting sold on something that doesn't exist. And right when they fly by implementation and their CSM gets on the phone, they say, "Wait, yeah. but they told me you have X, Y, and Z." That's the big churn risk, right? So I think it's like not staying near your customers, not understanding the real value you're bringing, not checking in in a meaningful way that's not upselling, right? Like these are mm-hmm. basically the same premises you find in D2C. The only difference yes. is the contract value is higher. But theoretically, early in my career, I saw CSM as like I saw CS on, on B2B as what D2C should have been, okay. right? Like I saw yeah. the idea that you're paying somebody six figures to to make sure that they're getting the value from their product. Shouldn't that be what D2C is doing? Like why was D2C paying yeah. $10 a week in the Philippines when mm-hmm. it, like, I think, I think D2C is catching up to B2B and, and not the other way. Not the other way around. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can see you can see the business volume of B2B definitely on e-commerce is going to be like surpassing D2C. Right. So yeah, uh, that's uh, interesting. Interesting. Wow. Eli, thank you so much. Anything you want to add? No, I think that's it. I mean, I, yeah. I'm still, I'm still early. I'm still learning. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm still evolving. I think I've learned a lot about D 2 C in the last couple of years. Uh, continuing to learn about ecom um, and B two B. Now I'm kind of bringing those two worlds together. Um, so just stay, stay, follow my journey if you're interested. Sure, um, where people can find you, Eli? It's uh, Eli Weiss, E L I W E I S S on LinkedIn. There's an extra S. If you follow me on Twitter, it's E-L-I-W-E-I-S-S-S. Okay. And then uh, Eli Weiss with an extra S.com um, for my newsletter that I've been writing weekly for a while that's been uh, a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that. Thank you so much. Interesting. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really interesting. And I wish you all the best and good luck in your new role. Thank you, Aitan. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Your support means the world to us. If today's episode has been insightful for you, consider sharing it with someone who would also benefit. Even one share can make a big difference. Looking to elevate your e-commerce game? Discover Vimy, a multi-channel e-commerce platform that will transform your business with the power of shoppable video. Visit us at vimy.net to learn more. It's vimy, V-I-M-M-I Thank you for being part of our journey. Stay tuned for more invaluable insights in our next episode.